0: Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, need a little help finding it in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation, then Acts, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, that's the order. They trained for months, they they enlisted in the service, many of them were drafted into the service, but once in the service, they trained. They trained every single morning, every single afternoon, every single evening. They trained when it was raining, when it was snowing, when it was windy, hot, cold. They trained all for one day. D Day. H Hour and D Day. There was about 300 of them known as the Pathfinders. They were the ones who were to go first. They were to be on the ground in France 30 minutes before some 100, excuse me, before some 20,000 paratroopers were to be dropped. For you see, there needed to be those that went ahead to be able to put lights up into the sky so that the planes that had those 20,000 who were the first on the ground, so to speak, they could start fighting to kind of draw the attention of the Nazi and the Axis powers Away from the 160,000 that were right offshore, ready to storm the beach. It's the middle of the night. These 190 were supposed to come out of the plane at 600 feet, but something went wrong. They were coming out of the out of the planes at 300 feet. They were being scattered over fields and over marshes that Hitler had ordered to be flooded. But one by one, they dropped, knowing their mission. The mission was to get lights in the air so that the 20,000 that were coming behind them would know where to drop without it they would be scattered all over France. The mission was clear. And as they were receiving fire, as they were being pinned down, as they were struggling, the mission was clear. And that mission drove them. It drove them to put... Lights in the air. Out of the 190, 60 survived. Out of the 60 that survived, 18, 20 lights. But those 20 lights were enough for the 20,000. And those 20,000 then bombarded the front line from behind took out machine guns, took out there in the heel cannons, artillery, so that the 160,000 when they would hit just a few hours later were able to break through the lines. Did everything go right? No. In the first four hours, 4,500 Allied forces died. Couldn't get past the beach. In the first four hours, some 10,000 Allied forces were wounded. But the mission must go on. And finally, there was a break. And no matter the beach that day, The Allied forces stormed into France to liberate a country, to halt a dictator, because every single one of them knew the mission. There's a different fight happening today than in the 1940s. What we know is World War II came to an end in 1945, but there is a battle that rages on today. There is a battle that rages on, a war that continues, even though victory has been won. The battle, every single day, the battle happens in your life? Every single day the battle happens in my life. The question for us this morning is, do you know the mission that you're on? Titled the message this morning, The Perspicuous Mission of the Believer. Yes, I had to look up the word perspicuous. And maybe you and I, when we see that word for the first time, we're like, that doesn't sound like a good word. I don't know why. But to me, that word sounds like it is something to do with a veil, something to do with being cloudy, not straight, not coherent. But it is just the opposite because that word, perspicuous, is clear, bold, straightforward. There is a mission for you and me, and that mission is perspicuous. And it is laid out for us in a couple of places. And I want us to spend our time this morning in one of those two places where it is laid out. In Acts chapter 1, I am going to read for us the first ten verses. And as I read the first ten verses, as usual, I need you to think of a couple of things. I need you to think of the action of... Jesus, our King. What is happening to him? What is happening with him? What is he doing? And then I need you and I, you and me, to look at us. And we find ourselves in this passage in the 11 disciples that are gathered on that spot of land to hear their message, to hear our message. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, reads as following in the ESV. It states this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and all that he began to teach. Just pause for a second. Luke is writing this. This is kind of like Luke 2 second book of Luke, and he's writing it to this one gentleman who many believe that he funded Luke's interest in finding out what Jesus did. And so he said, hey, I'll fund it. You go do it and you write back and tell me about it. And so that was Luke, the gospel of Luke. And now he gives him a second volume and he begins it that way in verse one. I wrote to you about what all, with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive, Jesus did, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' And he said to them, "'It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria.'" to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing, verse 10 states, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee! Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Heavenly Father, speak this morning through your word. Father, speak to me this morning through Your Word. Speak to this body of believers that have gathered this morning to sing praises to Your name. Speak to us. May we see You, Jesus. Spirit, may we see You. May You convict us May you encourage us this morning. And may we see the task that is before us that you command us to be about. For your name is worthy of more praise than we could ever give. You are King, Jesus. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. Let me read verse 6 and 7 as we look at these truths this morning. Verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. The first point this morning is this. A question of direction leads to clarity of mission. A, a question of direction from these disciples leads to clarity of the mission. Lord, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel. For some 50 days, these men have seen, as, as Luke records there in those first couple of verses, he has shown himself to them th- through many proofs. He showed up while they were at the Sea of Galilee. They were out there fishing, and he just showed up, and, and he cooked them breakfast They had some fish tacos or something like that for breakfast, and it it was an awesome morning for them. He showed up right outside the tomb. He showed up to the women and told the women, hey, go tell them that, that I'm alive. They went and told him, and just like you and I, we don't believe our wives. They didn't believe the women. And they said, well, go see for yourself. And so they start running, and they go to the tomb, and sure enough, the tomb is empty. Peter runs in. And as he runs in, he, he sees the, the cloth that was wrapped around him. And then he hears, who, who are you looking for? Um, Jesus? He's not here. Why are you looking for someone who's alive among the dead? He, saw, he, he, he showed himself to them 500 at one time. Just to let you know, give you a statement for argument somewhere down in the future. If 500 people are hallucinating, they aren't hallucinating about the same thing. It it happened. And he showed himself to those 500. He showed himself over and over and over again for some 50 days. All the Jewish leaders had to do, all the Roman soldiers had to do was produce a corpse. And they couldn't. Because he was not there. He was alive. And because of all these things in this season, this question started, probably started as a a small mumble. Probably started as just under their breath, is is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus, is it now that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Expecting, warning him to say, oh yes, the angels are coming, the angelic host are coming, Rome will be defeated, the Jews will see once and for all who I am. And then he just takes that small little pen and Pops that huge balloon. It says, hey guys, it's not for you. You're not on the planning committee. You're not the the leadership of this clan. You are privates. The generals have spoken. They have the plan for battle. They have... Huddled up and they understand the next move and the 10,000th move after that. And all of them in between. But here's what it is for you to do. You're not on the planning committee, but you are on the welcoming committee. One question, a question of direction leads to the clarity of this mission. Lord, will it You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. It's not for you to know, sir. It's not for you to know, ma'am. It's not for you to know, Brian. The times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. The question is asked, and it's asked because of that season just before all the events that took place. Let me draw our attention to that season. You and I have more than likely sat in seats just like this or in these same seats. Week in and week out. Month in and month out. Maybe it was years ago that you first sat in a seat like this or in a pew like those that find themselves in churches all around our area. Maybe it has been weeks upon weeks where you have sat in that same seat. You hear the name Jesus. You hear the the name Lord. You, You hear the name God. You hear these names over and over again to the point that you and I, they're common to us. You hear the name Jesus, and it's like you're hearing possibly somebody talk about your name. You're like, Brian, I would never elevate my name to the name of Jesus. The point is, he's common to you and me. And in understanding his commonness, have you and I allowed ourselves to forget who he is? The one who conquered death. The one who took your place when you were an enemy against him. The one who rules and reigns in splendor and in might. He is standing outside of Jerusalem and he's talking to these 11 who have spent three and a half years with him. They've spent three and a half years walking with him, talking with him, eating with him. They've they've spent the same night in the home with him. And they ask him a question, and that question leads to a clarity of their mission. So let me ask you a question. Do you know the mission? Do you know what he's commanded you to do? In the New Testament, there are some 50 commands that Jesus spoke to his disciples. 50 commands. I'm not going to go through all of them, but let me draw your attention to a couple of them. You and I are commanded in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, you shall love, command, love, command, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind you shall love your neighbor as yourself command pause for a second how you doing with those two last 14 hours last 14 hours don't raise your hand when i ask you this last 14 hours Did you love God more than your sports team that you rooted for? Did you love God more than your leisure time yesterday? Did you love God more this past week than the hours you put in at your job? There is no wiggle room in that command, sir. Ma'am, there is no wiggle room. The king of kings said to you and me, love me with everything you got. Did you do it? You know, this week I... uh, I probably spent more time singing to the king than I do most weeks. Um, had the opportunity to uh travel a lot with some of you this week. Both directions, went out to Kansas City for a couple of days, and went over to Nashville for a couple of days. And as I sang, Both places, tears just started flowing. I don't cry that much. I grew up, Dad said, hey, don't cry, boy. Yes, sir. Or I'll give you something to cry about. Mm, Didn't want that. Knew what that was. But as I heard hundreds and hundreds of men, hundreds and hundreds of men and women sing, reminded of who it is that we were singing to and tears just started flowing love the Lord your God with everything that you have Brian everything that you have River Bend. you and I are commanded in this passage right here in front of us you and I are commanded to be witnesses Again, no show of hands. I'll raise mine up. When's the the last time you were a witness for him? Command. What is the witness? To tell of what you have seen. To tell of what you have heard. To tell what he has done inside of you. When's the last time you, sir, ma'am, if he's changed you, if his blood has covered you, You've accepted him as Savior, and Lord, when's the last time you were a witness, vocal witness of him? Matthew records it in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. He records it this way. to the 11 disciples Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go command go therefore make disciples command of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You and I have been commanded over and over and over again by the king. Second point. The king's mission is communicated explicitly. The king's mission is communicated explicitly. I know the term king is foreign to us. In the 1700s, we fought a war so we didn't have to bow to one of those anymore. In the 1700s, it began in us those stripes and stars there on that flag. It began in us a, an independence, and we, we've got a day on the calendar for that, if not 365 days on our calendars that helps us seek out our independence, But the king's mission for us is communicated explicitly. Verse number 7 and verse number 8. Let me read these for us again and just see the king. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in all Judea. You will be my witnesses in Samaria. You will be my witnesses even to the end of the earth. I just read for us Matthew chapter 28. Let me read verse 16 afresh and anew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The King has all authority. There is no question Of the authority that this king has. All authority in heaven. All authority on earth. All authority under the earth. There's no other place that there can be authority. It's in all of heaven. It's in all the earth and it's under the earth. He has authority. Period. End of discussion. No more questions about his authority because he has it. He has it in Hernando, he has it in Britain, he has it in Tokyo, he has it in the heavens, he has it in the grave, all authority is his. And because of what he did, this king, this king loved you so much, this king loved me so much that he left heaven, clothed himself in flesh, lived Thirty-three plus years. Paul recorded it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. He, he ends his statement in verse 8 by saying this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Therefore, because of what he did on the cross for you and me, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. This King loves you. This King has sent you on a mission. He has sent me on a mission, and that mission is a mission of obedience. Whatever I'm telling you to do, do that, Brian. Whatever I'm telling you to do, River Bend, do that. And what he has told us over and over and over and over and over again to do is love me. Love me. Love me. And tell others about me. A third and final Point in this direction of our mission. The third point this morning is uh, something that I, I, just being confessing, if, if I would have been there when this happened, I would still probably be looking up. Read in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, Luke records these words. While they were gazing, excuse me, that's verse 10, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up, will come again in the same way. The king is snatched back. To his throne. Just before he died, just before he died, Jesus looks into heaven and says, Father, it is finished. What you sent me to do, I have done. The task that I was sent for, finished. Now some 50 Plus days after that, he goes back to heaven. As he goes back to heaven, these 11 are standing there and they, as I stated, if I was there, my jaw would be wide open. My eyes would be wide open. Looking up, my neck would be hurting because I'm trying to see him. And then standing beside them, I can just see, hey, two guys. Hey, what what are you looking at? What are you doing? What's happening? This Jesus that, that you just saw snatched away from you, this Jesus, he's coming back in the same way. So go do what he's told you to do. Be about the task that he has called you, commanded you to do. So, River Ben, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, why is Brian so mad? Not mad. Not mad at you. Mad at me? Yeah. Mad at you? No. Why is Jesus mad? Jesus isn't mad. Jesus is on the throne. He is ruling and reigning. From that moment until the father says, son, go get my children. He is reigning on the throne. In the moment that he gets back, he will be reigning on the throne. In the moments that he is away from the throne, he is reigning over the throne and over everything. But as we come to the close of this sermon, a few statements. Quit. Riverbend, quit. Quit doing something that the disciples did. The disciples were standing there. They were standing there. And they were watching him go away, and they were standing there, and he was gone, and they were standing there continuing to look, continuing to look. Quit. Quit continuing to look. Continuing to look in this frame of mind that I don't have anything else to do, so I'm just going to stand here and look. I'm going to stand here and, and look at a wooden cross. I'm going to stand here and look at the sky. I'm going to stand. No, you and I have a mission to be about. Quit looking. Quit looking up to heaven. He is exactly where he's supposed to be. He's on the throne. Be where you and I are supposed to be. You and I are supposed to be obeying the commands that he has given Brian, that he has given you to be witnesses, to make disciples, to point people to him, to love him with everything, and to love them like you love yourself. Quit sitting on the sidelines. Get in the battle. Stand up. Stand up once you fall down, because you and I will fall down. Stand up. psalmist states that the righteous man falls seven times. It's not that he doesn't fall an eighth time. Seven is the number of completeness. He falls, and he falls, and he falls, and he falls. Every single one of us fall and fall and fall and fall. Stand up. Well, if I stand up, all I'm going to do is fall again. Stand up. Stand up and take your sword. Stand up and take your helmet. Stand up and take your breastplate. Stand up and take your belt. And get on the front lines. D-Day is occurring right now in Hernando. Quit thinking that you can't. Quit thinking that you have no power because God gave you a spirit of power. His spirit dwells in you right now, sir, ma'am, student. He dwells in you and you have victory. This isn't for you, it's for me, okay? Okay. All of them have been for me, but this one especially is for me, so y'all just get to listen in, okay? Quit complaining. Quit complaining. Rest in God. He is present in times of trouble. Rest. Maybe the best thing that you need to do is go take a nap. Go take a nap this afternoon. Get refreshed. But once you get refreshed, get back in the fight. Say what needs to be said in the conversations that you and I have the opportunity to speak into. Love the person that's hard to love. Exactly. Spend the time with Jesus so you will have the ammunition for the attack that is coming. If you get in the fight, ma'am... The attack is coming. If you get in the, in the fight, sir, the attack is coming and you better have some ammunition. Because the enemy has sharpshooters. The enemy desires to take you and me out. The enemy desires to hit us with the ammunition that he has. So you and I best have our own ammunition or four more quits and then I'm closing quit being silent I was reminded this morning as I was going through some social media stuff as I pray for a number of men who stand on platforms behind pulpits in front of folks I was reminded of uh of the state that we live in. The state that we live in is the most church state in the United States. The most church state in the United States. And seven out of ten of your friends, family, and loved ones who live in this state are not connected to a church. Seven out of ten... Mississippians do not go to church. Seven out of ten Mississippians do not worship Jesus. You're like, Brian, you're not judged. Exactly. It's probably worse than that, but I'm just giving you the statistics that are printed. Seven out of ten people that you live by, that I live by, need to hear about Jesus from you and from me this week. How do we know which seven? Tell all ten. Leverage the relationships that you have for Christ. That's why He's given you the relationship. Leverage the relationships you have on the soccer field. Leverage the relationships you have in the classroom. Leverage the relationships you have around the conference tables. Leverage the relationships you have at the corner store. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, for He is worth that from us. Quit being hard-hearted. I didn't say hard-headed. I said hard-hearted. Quit being hard-hearted like you've heard this 10,000 times before. And even if you have heard it 10,000 times before, may this one stick. May this time Telling of the excellencies of him. Telling of the mission that he has commanded us to be a part of. May this time be the one that draws us out of calloused hearts and places back to him. Quit being selfish with your time. You and I are his. When you and I bowed the knee and confessed with our mouths that he is Savior and Lord, it did not bring you freedom for yourself. It changed your master. Before you were a master of sin and Satan, you were a master of the the power of this world. But when you bowed the knee and I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, when we did that, we have a new master and it is not us. And he has commanded you and he has commanded me to be about his mission. So quit being selfish with your time. Quit being stingy with your dollars. Give cheerfully to the one who bought you with his life. He gave sacrificially for you. Been your pastor for twelve years. I'm not as uh, as arrogant as I was when I stood in front of the first people that I pastored. I stood in front of the uh, folks at Bay Springs Baptist Church in Bay Springs, Mississippi, as a wise twenty five year old, and I said something like this: "River Bend," probably not with a smile but I said something like this. You know, it's a shame. It's a shame when you go to a restaurant and you give more percent to a person who brought you a hamburger than you would to God. Oh, I got emails and I got letters that week. They're like, well, they're just trying to make a livelihood. Well, God's just trying to get you to be on his mission. That was my response. It's not between me and you how much you give. It's between you and him. And he is saying to you, Hey, if you would give, if you would trust me, River Ben, if you would trust me, sir, I promise you I will take care of all your needs. I will give you everything that you need and then some because I am a loving father who has the very best for you. Quit being stingy with your money, Brian and others. The other day I was in Nashville, and a guy by the name of Dallas White, who's a new pastor, 34 years old, pastoring his first church, he stood in front of them, and they were talking about budgets uh, at the end of the year last year, and he he let something slip, and since then he has uh, gone out and told others, because there was about 150 of us sitting in a breakout room with him, but uh, he said... You know, on uh, my wife and I, on my birthday, every year we have had this prayer. Since we've been married, on on my birthday, every year we have decided that we will give 1% more than we gave last year. I started thinking. Okay, at 32... He said, 10% is baseline, and then we have just started from there, and I've been married seven years. It's like, okay. So just baseline, he's at 17%, if I can do math. When birthday comes around in two months, he'll be at 18%. Birthday comes around in 14 months, he'll be at 19%. He's like, I know what you're saying. I'm 30. I've got a long way to go. Exactly. That was his statement. Then he shared this, and I'm going to close. We needed $185,000, I think, for a remodeling of the church room, and I asked everybody to give. So, sitting down on Monday night, I told him, "Let's let's take a week and let's pray. And whatever God's asking you to give, you give." my seven-year-old, as we were having family devotions, and I told him, forget his name, hey, we we'll just call him Brian, right? Just kidding. Kid, pray this week, whatever God wants you to have, whatever, you want, whatever he wants you to give, bring it. Sunday morning, grabbed a Ziploc bag, took it to church. He was about to give, uh, put it in the plate before the service, and I He said, I sat him on my lap, and I said, what's this? He said, this is how much I'm going to give. He looked at the Ziploc bag, and all it was was wadded up bills. The seven-year-old had $322, his life savings. He said, God told me to give it all. They got $175,000 that day. They needed one hundred and eighty-five, dollars and he was talking with his, his son after the service as they were going to lunch, and he said, Dad, that was all my bills. I still have my cents. I can give my cents. He said, I started crying, crying, and crying. What? I'm done after this. If God said, give it all, would you? Would you? Would you trust him enough to give it all? Would you trust him enough to say, I have a mission for you? Be about it, sir. Be about it. Heavenly Father, you have a mission for us. You have a mission for me, and Father, I have. Uh, I've forgotten that mission some days, Father. I've forgotten that. Yeah, I, I call you Daddy because you are, but but you're also my King. And there is no one greater than you. There is no one who has authority like you over me. You, you have all authority. And it is only because of your grace and your love and your mercy that you allow me to, to take another breath. Church, I've asked uh, Alex and the worship team to lead us in a couple of songs. And you can call them songs of response. You can call them whatever you want. but, But hear me. I want us to worship Him. Worship Him like you know you should worship Him. And maybe there's some things in your life right now that you've got to quit, you've got to stop, you've got to say, here's the line in the sand, I'm not doing this anymore. Whatever it is, do it now so that you and I can worship Him as best we can because He flat loves you So stand and join us as we sing, and let's worship him. If you need to talk with me, come up here and talk with me. If you don't know him, let me introduce him to you. But come worship as we sing.